Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today, we are going to look at the fourth Sunday of Easter. The fourth Sunday of Easter. Now, where have we been? We've journeyed with Jesus to his death and his resurrection, his death, during Holy Week, as we have five Sundays in Lent, five weeks in Lent, and then we celebrate Holy Week, which goes from Palm Sunday to Holy Saturday. Holy Saturday is the day that Jesus was buried. And then we go Easter week. And, of course, we begin with the celebration of Jesus' resurrection from the dead on the third day, Sunday morning. And then there are seven weeks in Easter. We have Easter week, then we have second Sunday of Easter, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, culminating with Pentecost, which is celebrated 50 days after Easter. Now, this week, the listing for the scriptures includes wisdom. Wisdom is a uh, apocryphal text written uh, during Old Testament times, and we do not include uh, speaking about apocryphal texts in the Daily Office Lectionary in terms of commentary. But if you were to uh, want to continue to read it, it's called Wisdom. And it's much like Proverbs, but I don't consider it a text of canon uh, as the Word of God. But uh, uh, many, uh, some denominations actually do regard it as canon, Wisdom, uh, and, but most Protestant uh, denominations do not regarded as canon. Okay? So we are going to look at Colossians and Luke. You can see there's just two listed in your program, Colossians and Luke. So we'll spend a lot of time in each of those. Okay, let's go right to Colossians. Colossians is a fabulous uh, four chapters in the book of Colossians. Paul is speaking from prison, and he is um, sharing with the people of Colossae. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. This is chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, he begins by thanking God When we pray for you, verse 3, verse 4, because we have heard of your faith in Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. So I pray that that's true for us. You have a love for Jesus. You have a love for the saints. The faith and love, verse 5, that springs from the hope that's stored up for you in heaven and you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. So the message of truth is the gospel. That is the message that Paul is sharing with the Colossians, the Romans, the Corinthians, the Philippians, etc. He's sharing with them the gospel. And he says, all over the world, this gospel is producing fruit and growing, just as it has been among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. So we ask that the grace of God, as you and I are reading the scriptures, would come upon us and that the truth of the message of the scriptures would be made known to us by God's revelation, that you and I would understand what's being said and that we would 
then faithfully put those words into practice. Now remember we talk about two things. We talk about doctrine, what we believe, and action, ethics. What are we going to morally do? How are we going to obey this message? What is God asking us to be faithful regarding? Okay, so that's going to always come out of our belief system. The way we act comes out of what we believe. And so in Colossians, as in the other books that Paul has written for us, he speaks about what the truth of Christ is and then what Christ asks us to do. And you'll see that as we go through this together. Now, in verse 10, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. You would live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. This is what you and I should be doing, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now, this, oh, these opening lines of Colossians are really fantastic, and I read them very slowly. They're very profound. They're very rich. Enjoy those first 14 verses. Now, the supremacy of Christ is seen from Colossians 1, 15 to 23. These are some amazing words about Jesus that Paul pens. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation, created all things. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church, number seven. He is the beginning of the firstborn among the dead, number eight, so then everything he might have the supremacy. And number nine, verse 19, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So the fullness of God Almighty dwells in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? And then finally, number 10, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through his blood shed on the cross. How did he reconcile? By his death and resurrection, which we now celebrate in this Easter season. We celebrate his victorious uh, resurrection and his rising from the dead. Now, he says, once you were alienated from God, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical death, verse 22, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, and I hope all my audience continues in your faith, established and firm. Stay firm, folks, in the faith. This is why the reading of the scriptures is so important. We want to stay in the faith and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. There's tremendous hope in the gospel. There's tremendous power in the gospel. There's tremendous liberty in the gospel. There's tremendous opportunity for growth in the gospel, and we want to take advantage of that. Paul continues in Colossians 1.24 through 2.7. Uh, let's look at verse 3. Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if you want to know where all the 
wisdom and knowledge can be found, it's in Christ. This extraordinary individual that we see in Colossians 1, 1 through 20, add Colossians 2, 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. Verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so you received Christ into your life as the Lord of your life, continue to live in him. Okay, that's the ethic. That's the way he's saying now, okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to live in him. I want you to live in him. Rooted and built up in him. Send your roots down deep and then build. Okay? Send your roots of your life, what's important in your life, anchor them in Christ and then build in Christ. Strengthen in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Strengthen in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. What a great way to live. Now, verse 8, as we look at starting verse 8 on Thursday. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. You and I need to be focused on Christ and what he says. I don't think there's any problem with reading about different points of view, different worldviews, different philosophies, but you don't want to be taken captive by them. You want to have a strong faith in Christ, as I said earlier. You want to have a strong understanding of what you believe in Christ. Look at verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Back to that idea again. In Christ all the fullness of the deity lives. You have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So when you have Christ, you have everything you need. As in essence, because of who he is and how great he is, you have fullness in every way. Okay, let's go back to 13, verse 13 of chapter 2. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, dead in your sins, lost without Christ, God made you alive with Christ. Now, you didn't make yourself alive. God made you alive. That's very important. Very great thing he did for us. He forgave us all of our sins. That is what I need and that's what you need. We need to be forgiven of our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, that which caused us to be guilty that was written against us he took it away, nailing it to the cross. So that was another thing he took care of. All those things about, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. You're wrong here, you're wrong here. He took that away. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So the victory of the cross, which we celebrated on Good Friday, was a stupendous event in the church. Now, he goes on in verses 16 through 23, the second half of chapter 2, uh, talking about uh, the problem that they were having in the church with what some people were saying about Christ. Now, there's too much to say here. Just you, what you do, I, what I'd like you to do is just read it 
And there were people saying some different things. This is one of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter. Don't let anybody judge you, for example, verse 16, by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come. The reality is found in Christ. What happens is during these times, this first century, is that heretics would come in and they would present a different gospel and a different message. And Paul was very sensitive to try to keep the people on focus with what he was saying and what Jesus had said when he was here. And Paul constantly reiterated what Christ was saying and what he had done for us and what the truth of the gospel was and to be very wary and aware of people that were presenting a different message. And so that's what the end of chapter 2 is about. Chapter 3. Since you've been raised with Christ, assuming that you have submitted to Christ and you're following Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Our focus needs to be on eternal things, not temporal things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Set your mind on things above, not on things below. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now this is where the mortification of sins come in where we put to death those sins in our lives, and he has a pretty good list there. And if you can read through 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, he lists the things that are not right, okay? And he says, do not lie. Rid yourself of, of these kinds of things. Do not lie to one another. Um, therefore, as God's chosen people, dearly beloved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 12. Bear with each other. This is great if we could all do this. And forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Beautiful remedy. So, we are killing our sin. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature in verse 5. And then we're adding virtues. That is the best case scenario in your daily living. Kill the sin. Build virtues in your life. Let the peace of God, peace of Christ, rule in your heart, verse 15. Another great idea. Be thankful. Call to peace. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, verse 16. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, wonderful closing verse, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Beautiful readings, Colossians 1, 2, and 3. Enjoy. Okay, let's now go to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 6. That's where we left off last, last time. 6, 1 through 11. Now, Jesus is doing ministry. He's about 30 years old. He gets baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin, in the Jordan River. The Spirit sends him into the desert. 40 days and 40 nights, he takes on the devil. He's successful, thankfully. 
he begins his ministry and he's teaching, he's preaching, he's doing miracles, he is drawing people to himself, he's talking about the kingdom of God, casting out devils, healing people, lots of things are happening. What does he want to happen? He wants people to hear the message that he's saying and believe in him. That has not changed in 2,000 years. That's what he wants from you and me. He wants us to hear the message that he's proclaiming and for us to believe in him and to follow him eternally. Okay, chapter six, Lord of the Sabbath. Now he's teaching. This is a teaching. So some of the Pharisees are asking, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So again, he's teaching them. He is sharing the gospel with them. The, teacher, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, though, verse 7 of chapter 6, are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. See, they're not, they don't want to know the right answer. They do not want to follow Jesus. They want to do their own thing. This is not something that God supports. Okay? So, again, he's teaching. In uh, verse 12, Jesus spends the night in praying to God. Now, you would think a person that's divine would not need to do that, but that's, that's why the importance of prayer is so important in our lives. He prays the night, and then he chooses the 12 disciples. And then we have the blessings and the woes. First, in verse 18, we have the healing of their diseases, tempted by evil spirits. They were cured. The people tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So right there in chapter 6, you've got teaching, a conflict with the Pharisees, his praying, very important, choosing of the disciples, the blessings and woes, and then he begins to say, blessed are you who are poor, very much like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, blessed are you who hunger now, blessed are you when men hate you, then he says, rejoice and be glad, great is your reward in heaven, verse 23. Woe to you who are rich, verse 24. Woe to you who are well-fed now, verse 25. Back to teaching. He talks about the love for enemy, enemies. We, in chapter 6, this is very much like 4, 5, and 6 in, um, in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. But Luke has it arranged in a different way. Love for enemies. We are to love our enemies, brothers and sisters. We are to love our enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, verse 28. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other one. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you, verse 32 of chapter 6. Even sinners do that. Be merciful as your Father is merciful, verse 36. So just like in Colossians, in the Gospels, we have doctrine, and then Jesus tells us how to live. Chapter 6 is a great example of how we're supposed to live. Do not judge, verse 37, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned, verse 37. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. That's important. Give, and it will be given to you. Verse 38, tree and its fruit. No tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. Out of the overflow of one's heart, the mouth speaks. What's in your heart is going to come out in what you say. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, verse 46, and do not do what I say? 
then he starts talking about building your life on the right foundation. So when the winds and the waves come, you won't be destroyed. That's the end of chapter 7 of Matthew. Chapter 7 of Luke, the faith of the centurion. There's a, faith, there's a beautiful um, miracle of healing here. And Jesus, in that healing, commends uh, the centurion. Um, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. So uh, Jesus is responding to human need, is responding to the needs of the people of God. And then finally, in, uh, well, actually, we go all the way to page to 35. We have the raising of the widow's son. We have a person that's been raised from the dead. The widow at Nain's son. Jesus raises them from the dead. Jesus and John the Baptist. And a conversation about John the Baptist. And then a conversation uh, in terms of what did he mean? What was he about? So, again, this interplay between healing, casting out devils, conflict with the Pharisees, and discussion, explaining to the people of God the truths of the kingdom of God. And so, again, as you're reading through these in your daily lectionary readings that we've posted there for you for the week of four Easter, you can see the direction that the scriptures are taking, and they give you time to reflect upon it, pray about them, Think about them, reflect in your own life where you are in regards to those scriptures, in regard to that understanding. You might have a study Bible where um, you can get additional understanding of the scripture if you have a study Bible. But a lot of it is pretty simple and pretty basic in terms of just reading it outright and then praying and thinking about what you need to do in terms of responding to the text. Well, I hope you have a wonderful time of study of Colossians and Luke. There's much to think about and much to reflect upon. And we'll see you next time when we look at the week of 5 Easter. God bless you.